Welcome to the Dallas Space Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Louder. Innovation comes in so many forms in so many different ways. We believe this entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is covered with people innovating. We designed this podcast to highlight the innovative things those business leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, problem solvers, the real innovators are doing day in, day out. As always, this show is brought to you by my company, Louderco. We find companies' profits through artificial intelligence and better operations. Like when we helped a massive Fortune 500 company build out their AI strategy to create breakthrough new food and beverage categories. Or when we redesigned the operations of a $100 million services company to add $10 million in net profit to their bottom line. To learn more about us, head to our website, louderco.com. Be sure to download free guides and presentations like our Intro to Artificial Intelligence presentation, or see if your company's even ready for AI through our AI readiness assessment tool. We're about to get the show started. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribed and left us a review. And now, enjoy our guests and enjoy the show. All right. Hello and welcome to the Down Space Innovator Show brought to you by Louderco. I'm your host, Andrew Louder, and I'm here with a very special guest, Nils Senvalds. Nils is the managing director of an international deep technologies consulting firm called Ezzy's Technology. They provide strategy research and prototyping solutions to businesses looking to get the most value from their data. Specifically, they're really great at AI modeling. Previously, Nils has worked for big four consulting firms like PwC and EY, which we have in common, and was also VP over at consulting firm Alex Partner. He served as chief data officer of Imaginative, a Silicon Valley-based tech firm that created a product called Altex, uh, often described as the match.com for hedge funds and investors, matching them together based on advanced analytics. Nils, I'm very excited to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Andrew, thank you very much for having me. My pleasure being here. Wonderful. So, Nils, I love kicking the show off by giving our guests a chance to provide a brief, like one to two minute bio on themselves, just some of the high level accomplishments and things that could get us kick started here. Well, I think my biggest accomplishment was uh, being born. Uh, I okay. think otherwise, none of big win. None, <laughs> it's yeah. all downhill from there, then, right? Yeah. As as uh, Norm Macdonald, the famous comedian, put it once on uh, Conan O'Brien, or show that I stuck in my memory, he said, "Oh, people complain about life. It's like, huh, I love life. Think about all the people who never got to be alive. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. that's, yeah, that's but, true. Uh, um, love life." Um, and yeah, I was born in, in uh, Riga, Latvia, which was um, then part of Soviet Union in um, 88. I moved to Sweden, uh, was there for two years, uh, spent one year in Germany in high school, back to Sweden, then actually back to then independent Latvia, and uh, uh, then came to study in the United States. Um, as in, as inspired by my uh, friends that I acquired during uh, my time in uh, international boarding school in Germany. Got it. And uh, in the United States, I landed in uh, New York area, uh, 
New York airport to start with. It was stormy weather. It was delayed. Uh, I remember sure it vividly. Was. <laughs> it was my first time in the United Always States. Always is, yeah. Yeah, it was actually at that time, it was also U.S. government shutdown, which uh, mm. which made things even more interesting. But uh, yeah, uh, finished uh, undergrad there at uh, little known college, Montclair State. Uh, uh, as any good immigrant, I uh, worked uh, construction out in East Hampton, Long Island, had a company with my friends where we uh, built spec houses. Subsequently, uh, that's where I met my current wife and uh, the only wife, uh, (laughs) uh, uh, just to be specific and clear uh, to avoid any kind of... She appreciates that, I'm sure, yeah. (laughs) And uh, uh, so, yeah, uh, I started implementing ERP systems uh, and then realized that I should get a little bit more education. So I went for my MBA and got uh, uh, MBA, uh, specialized in accounting. Uh, that's how I got to ENY. At ENY, we um, very early on jumped into, frankly, it was advanced analytics, except for nobody called it advanced analytics or anything. It was just, you know, looking for stuff. That's you know, searching, yeah. finding things, even though we did some pretty serious data mining on SEC documents and such um, wow. for uh, pretty data heavy um, projects. Um, and that's sort of, yeah, I, I always during there, I was part of the tax division, but I always ended up in sort of a quantitative solutions uh, for for particularly, you know, yeah, when you're working with hedge funds and financial services and banks, a lot of trades, a lot of optimizations in mm-hmm. that sense. Um, from there, uh, New York was fun, but uh, going into Times Square every day got old, particularly when you mm-hmm. have a little little one at home. And my wife's mm-hmm. originally from Dallas, so uh, we decided to move to Dallas. Uh, and consequently, I... Switched my employers to Alex Partners, um, which is which I learned a lot at Alex Partners and really got to work on some really exciting projects. Um, I think the highlight is uh, I got to mm-hmm. work with Bob Nardelli uh, on um, on consolidation for a service um, private equity firm. Um, uh, also, uh, so well, you of course. Mm-hmm. Un, un, unwinding a lot of the mortgage-backed security um, complexities. Um, mm-hmm. Once again, handling large amounts of data. Uh, then again, I called and uh, offered me to come back in Dallas office. And uh, that's where I went again. Now, instead of New York, was E&Y. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, yeah, um, an opportunity presented itself to work Silicon Valley, an advanced analytics company, which was fairly new at the time. Um, some uh, very brilliant people um, gathered there. We, uh, in essence, yeah, as you mentioned before, sort of a match.com between hedge funds and investors. And we worked also yeah. on uh, wow. not only traditional financial analysis component of it, but the behavioral finance analysis. And I uh, had pleasure of working with uh, Dr. Thomas Oberlechner, who is from Austria, and his wife, Galinda, uh, and also my close um, close colleague there, Dr. Kaz Milner, who's in charge mm-hmm. of data science and 
he's a uh, from a Dallas perspective, he's an icon in itself because he he was working on um, particle accelerator or superconducting super collider that was supposed to happen that. here, yeah, but but didn't. Uh, and uh, after that, um, I was in high demand. <laughs> Uh, at that particular time with the analytics mm-hmm. background, and that's when it sort of became more popular and uh, yeah. had, a, had a good run with PwC, but subsequently decided to start my own company. And I did that with uh, Dr. Kaz Milner, again, who I met at Imaginative. And uh, as of February, uh, we, yeah, uh, Dr. Milner basically retired uh, at, at one point on it is of February, I started a new venture with, uh, Astrid Berg and Jamie Kiros and, uh, Astrid, um, has a background in deploying large programs, projects, um, across the board in it and also within advanced analytics. And, uh, Jamie Kiros is our superstar MVP. She, uh, mm-hmm. comes from Google brain. She uh, worked with uh, very closely with Jeffrey Hinton, who's known as the the godfather of neural networks because he's been pushing very for cool. that for quite 30 years. And finally, the time has arrived where there's <laughs> enough compute power and uh, Amazing. and data storage that you can handle it. And uh, uh, so we're off to the races. Uh, and, fabulous. Uh, we're trying to, in essence, bring the latest in the research world, you know, if I may say AI research world uh, to businesses. And uh, there is a pretty significant gap, but uh, we can uh, discuss that later, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to thank John Offenlock for introducing us together here. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. John uh, has been a longtime friend and, uh, uh, through various channels, uh, but yeah, mostly my wife's friend, best friend, and so on and so forth. But yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. And um, yeah, as we as we dive into a bit more, you know, we, we hit on the data analytics piece, the the AI modeling piece. Um, tell us what's the bread and butter of SS Technologies? Like, I know when we had lunch um, not so long ago over at Gloria's. I feel like my mind, my mind was blown by some of the things you were telling me, but I'd love for you to share that with our audience. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. <laughs> I'm. I, I'm learning myself because uh, once again, coming, starting working together with uh, Dr. Jamie Kiros uh, has opened a lot of new angles uh, and techniques. Um, and made them more accessible and comprehensible to me, <laughs> at least. Yeah. Uh, that 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 there is a there is a great opportunity to commercialize a lot of it, um, mm-hmm. but uh, there are also some challenges that come along with it. So our goal is yet yeah, to sort of close the gap in between what's out there um, in a research world, uh, you know, where you have these top companies dedicating and you know, creating a lot of tools and uh, what is going on more in a, 
amongst us common people, so to say. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, try to bring those two together. How would you describe AI modeling to just the lay person? Like, what does that entail? That is that is challenging, and I think <laughs> that is that is frankly the biggest challenge that the whole industry faces. Because whenever somebody looks at and hears AI modeling, almost everyone has something different in their minds based off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, various aspects, their previous encounters. Their, if I was to describe it, it's, you know, it, it's really from one perspective, nothing too crazy. It's how to take reality and put it and model in math, right? That, mm-hmm. That's the high level overview and that's sort of self-explanatory. But, and there are techniques, mathematical techniques, uh, that are assisted by iterative computing power today that wasn't available mm-hmm. earlier uh, that enable to create models based off of data from a real physical world, right? The, the data points connected from real events. Mm-hmm. And um, they have to be repeatable, of course. Um, you're not going to create a model of one-offs or black swans, so to say. Um, yeah. I think that's on a high level how I would describe it. Got it. So it's it's essentially just kind of trying to prove out that the, the AI vision or concept one might have can, in fact, be brought to reality. Um, yeah, it that way. It's it it it's a it's a difficult thing, right? Because you're modeling something, you're modeling behavior in a world, and you know, as I'm sure everybody has heard on this podcast, there's that uh, famous quote that uh, all models are wrong, but some are useful. <laughs> and uh, when you start breaking down that statement, well, what does that mean? All models are wrong, and some, but some are useful. And my interpretation of that is that some models that are useful, we, we when an event happens in a real world, it casts off, whether it be a business event or physical event, it casts off enormous amount of data points. There is no way we can collect all the data points for that event. It's uh-huh. it's just we know that that it's mathematically impossible to go down to the you know Planck constant right. and what moved here and there. So we're getting a summary of those events, uh, and that's the data we work with, and that's the data we model. However, mm-hmm. we're, we're missing a huge part. So you you always have to keep an eye on on. Okay, so what are we missing here, right? Um, mm-hmm. I remember um, my macroeconomics professor, I think my best professor that I ever had um, in graduate school, uh, he described why models are wrong, and he described it in a very tangible way. Um, and he said he was a... Uh, he, his father was a farmer in Pennsylvania, so he grew up on a farm with two brothers and he said, well, our model was, you know, in the afternoon, 
mom cooks the meal, dad comes home from work, my brother comes home from work, my younger, you know, my middle brother comes from work, we set the table, we sit down by the table, we eat the dinner, you know, I do the dishes, you know, and, and so on and so forth, right? And he said, well, that's our model. So yeah. one day, let's say my older brother doesn't show up at home. What okay. does that mean? Do we just do we just assign zero to his seat and move on as as if nothing had happened, right? And have some little bit more leftovers for the dogs or whoever wants to eat, mm-hmm. or yeah. do we realize that hmm, that's a problem? <laughs> you know, he hasn't called, he hasn't said anything. Now it's you know half an hour late. He might be dead, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah. And, and if that was the case, we wouldn't just be sitting normally and cordially and eating dinner without him and assigning value zero to it. It would change the whole model, right? And uh, how likely it is, who knows? But, you know, he could have had a flat tire. He could have had a million things. But that event all of a sudden becomes important as opposed to just assigning zero to it, right? All of a sudden, the change, the change in that number, what that zero means, means a lot right, in a general context. Yeah. And that's where models can very easily, um, uh, very easily uh, lie to you, right? And where they're wrong, fundamentally wrong. And, and I think we saw that happen um, in, in 2008 financial crisis and, uh, where um, there were prior assumptions made about real estate market that were just not true, right? Mm-hmm. And how the lack of volatility in a real estate securities um, was, uh, well, that was a wrong assumption. Right? It, it yeah. was just yeah. that it was, it was uh, whatever the reasons, but it was artificially yeah. created, right? Well, Nils, when you think of um, you know, the customers that are coming to you for this AI modeling, what are some of the things you're solving for them? What are the problems they're facing when they, they need to come and turn to you? To be, to be frank, um, they're coming to us not with the problems that we want to solve, most vast majority of the time it is, um, oh, uh, you know, not, not in these exact words, of course, but, mm-hmm. oh, we, we need AI and we got nothing, but we need something. And yeah. <laughs> you go, okay, well, then well, I, there's I a don't know. Place, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and of course, uh, you can take advantage of that situation and, you know, create three tons of PowerPoints and tell them how we will do everything. But number one, that's, that's not our specialty. Uh, but that seems to be the demand and, uh, there, there needs to be a significant educational component, uh, if, if to getting clients from, where they are to where they can meaningfully interact with us. And uh, what, what do I mean by meaningfully interact with us is uh, once again, I'll, I'll bring up our, you know, Jamie Kiros, who who's on, on top of this field. And um, 
can do borderline magical things with data. He's very hands-on and, um, we, what, what we as a service want to provide is either, you know, strategic consulting and how to set up an AI research project within your company. And what we would do is we would execute that research project, build the model and help you to deploy it. But we wouldn't do the deployment ourselves where we can mm-hmm. supervise it. But where we bring the most value to the customer is, yes, if, if there's a, if there's a quote unquote AI problem that is difficult for you to solve, with either your existing data science department or or maybe you don't have one, but you have it formulated in a way that is, you know, uh, where we can start modeling off the get-go, meaning, you know, the mm-hmm. data is there, it's, it's cleaned, we know what it means, we know, you know, what it is. So we will apply these advanced techniques that are, you know, not really available in any of the commercial platforms um, and combinations thereof, because that's where sort of the field is moving, is combining various neural network and transfer learning, mm-hmm. and, and and you have transformers and encoders and such and such, uh, where uh, you, you, you need to have a grasp of those tools and what they're capable of doing in order to combine them and to get the result at the end. Yeah. Um, Whereas I think a, a lot of a lot of clients out there are um, either at the beginning of a journey or have started their journey and most often mm-hmm. went the wrong way, uh, where uh, some see you know some mistakenly see advanced analytics as IT problem, some see it as pure business problem, but f- frankly. Um, it touches almost every aspect of a company because the function itself is a, a knowledge gathering operation. It's, it's, it's a knowledge center for a company. And, um, even, even, you know, one aspect of it is also even a failure with advanced analytics project should be thoroughly documented and, seen why why didn't it work right why couldn't mm-hmm. we get it across the the finish line and identify those aspects because just a few years down the road they might be solved those problems might be solved in a very cost efficient way and you can take that project out of the incubator so to say and just re-spin it up but you you, you need to have it documented not just dismiss it right and also, you know, you, you do it with talented people and uh, you find out that something is not quite possible to do at this particular juncture in time. So if you have a vendor that's coming, oh, we're going to solve it, you're going to ask very pointed, intelligent questions. Well, how are you going to solve these problems, right? And most often you'll find that, oh, we'll create a PowerPoint for that. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's not... <laughs> That's not quite what we mean here, but uh, it's it's they will not have a solution to that. But. Got it. So, can you take us a bit behind the scenes? So, let's pretend like you did get that customer that's blank slate, right? They just mm-hmm. we think we have a, we we know we have a problem that AI can be a solution for. Um, you know, you've kind of narrowed it down for them to where okay, we have a focused. 
um, potential. No, no, no. I, I wouldn't even narrow. I, I would just call you. I would just call you today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. This is, uh, this is Zoom louder code narrowed it down for you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is this is the louder show. <laughs> okay. So you hand off the louder code. We do our thing. We identify yeah. the solutions AI could bring to the table. But ultimately, once we've pinpointed an AI opportunity, okay, and we say you know, the client needs this kind of modeled even to, to a degree that there can be confidence to move forward into something broader. You know, what does that look like from you behind the scenes? Is it just a ton of research, a ton of uh, data composition, is it all the above? Is it more? I mean, just yeah, where, I, where do you take it from there? I think that the easiest way to summarize it is that we, we still follow the crisp dm model right there's uh mm. there are versions of it's cross-industry standard for data mining that was i think i forgot who it was i think it was ibm that came up with it back in the day um not quite sure but uh it's it still i looked at some statistics 80 percent of the people in this world still using it because it it's simple and it makes sense right and yeah it's essentially business understanding data understanding data prep modeling evaluation and then decision to deploy or not to deploy right so you you got to start with business understanding because yeah. um once again you know if you're detached from reality <laughs> doesn't help anyone and <laughs> um <laughs> and and particularly understanding, how I mentioned, events happen, they cast off data, what data is relevant, right? So we don't get into the Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy situation where the answer is 42, right? Uh, and, and uh, but what's the question? And modeling is modeling. But so so we we work with business and data, make sure that, that we truly understand what it is that we're feeding into the models, right? And because otherwise, you 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 have to understand it. Otherwise, you can't get it. Because the data cleaning becomes impossible, modeling becomes impossible if you don't mm -hmm. get that. Um, and then usually, you know, on a detail, we're all involved. I'm more involved in our company in those initial phases. Uh, whereas Jamie, of course, is more involved in modeling, but Jamie is always yeah. in a background, uh, you know, when we're trying thinking about uh, possibilities where we can go and how we can, how we can approach, what techniques can we use to approach this problem? And uh, uh, why that is important is, yeah, because all of these techniques, you know, whether it be transfer learning neural networks, you know, statistical methods, they, they have their own capabilities and to some, some structures, some forms of data, some distributions, certain approaches are better, right? And particularly if we're going into realm of neural networks and deep learning, which is where we live most of the time, um, you got to comprehend it. And, and, you know, it's essentially tying reality into math. And, and that is, if that link is not proper, um, you're not going to get much. I, I would say that one of the, 
I always identify that, you know, one of the, you know, without sounding too arrogant, we, we know what we're doing, right? <laughs> but yeah. but we, we don't know everybody's business inside out. And no two businesses are alike. Um, right. And analytics, advanced analytics and this modeling has a capability of giving a business a competitive advantage uh, based off their uniqueness over their competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, if you don't understand that, how, what, what their competitive advantage is, and the, then you just sort of go and deploy the same model across all the businesses and it's all commoditized and they're just fighting for the price, right. Amongst each other. And that, that, you know, I don't know who's interested in that, but, mm-hmm. um, it, it, uh, to understand the uniqueness of the business, but it when when we're modeling, and, and helping them to gain that advantage and that knowledge uh, about uh, even what to do next, right? Whoa, yeah. we found out this. This is working. This is how it's been working. Oh, wow, great. Uh, what's the next step, right? What what do we we know this now and we're implemented it? What's and all of a sudden once once that first dam is broken, once the first project goes through, then there's tons of ideas all of a sudden from on, but. But that first project, you need to have business experts that know their business, know what the business question is, know know how that business question needs to be answered in what form um, mm-hmm. in order f- for there to be a value for the company of just going down that road. Yeah, yeah. And I, I get this question asked a lot. Um by clients about AI, you know, what if a company doesn't have much data? I know you're, you're like, you know, huge data background. What, what kind of options might they have? Um, If the company does not have much data. uh, Or at least historical data that they've been capturing and, you know, can draw off of. That's then you look for creative solutions, and they might yeah. might not be any, right? You could, uh, I don't know. Let's 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 pick an industry. I don't know. Let's say you were in um, automotive industry, or or you know, you're selling mm-hmm. cars or doing whatever. You know, there's there's a good amount of public data that is around that you can gather uh, from various sources by. Um, obtained that could um, that could be relevant uh, to what you're doing you can um, you're gonna run simulations and generate data uh, you know if you know that the data appears through certain parameters right but that, that I mean if you if you look at for example how uh, you know alphago and reinforcement learning uh, how that is being trained right on games it's 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 playing the games, right? And effectively, mm-hmm. what it's doing by playing the games is is creating that training data, right? You you, you start, but once again, games are very uh, games like chess and Go are are still close ended, right? There's there's a space where you operate within. Uh, however, they have moved more recently into more open ended games where they're training these algorithms, but. Um, simulations acquire external data. Um, 
I think those those would be the two. I mean, there there's always creative approaches how you can get something right. You can, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the, yeah, but those would be the top that's two good, things yeah. that I would suggest. Oh, that's good to that's good to know. Um, and we often steer them also to those open source opportunities, or or um, maybe it finally gets them marching yeah. toward you know, capturing their own data for a certain time period before they can move forward. So, yeah. I um, I raise my it is still a coffee cup even though it's Friday <laughs> to all the open source people and all the all of those who have contributed to open source because yes. without them we wouldn't be here with AI not even close incredible right what yeah. a community and, and actually as a matter of fact right now I am sitting I'm I'm uh talking to you my platform is Linux I, we've moved over to awesome. Linux uh because well we're supporting it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And awesome. I and I always I was always you know maybe a little bit of sidetrack, but I do want to throw it in. I was always amazed, um, you know, because I was born in Soviet Union. No, you know, when 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 you do something communally, uh, it always ends up being looking like public bathroom in Soviet Union, right? And it means <laughs> that there's crap all over the place and nothing good ever comes out of it and i was always wondering why um why this open source concept works in technology and i think i think um one of the main answers is that it is so easy to evaluate whether what you did works or doesn't work very quickly right you submit your code and you run it and if it works you're good right? (laughs) Off we go. And if you're the type who's constantly submitting bad code, you will be very quickly neutralized, right? And but 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 that decision that uh, it's very, (laughs) it's very empirical, that you submit code, it works, you're good, right? And the code works, things work, everything works. And uh, so it's easy to evaluate your work. Whereas, you know, particularly um, certain ideologies or certain grand statements, you know, that are ambiguous and, and you know, how do you know? It's like 10 years from now, 50 years from now, what's the evaluation scale? Um, when when mm-hmm. do we say, no, that was a good idea, that was a bad idea, uh, or that's right or that's wrong? It, you know, it takes, it takes time, but and given in technology, the complexity is much less than in real life. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but there's a yeah, there's an enclosed system and of sorts. Right? Yeah. Well, Nils, let's move into our lightning round, shall we? All right, we're already there. I guess. That's <laughs> so typically, these some of these could have you know somewhat quicker answers. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll dive into a little bit uh, further, but. Yeah, Let's you, can, jump right you in. can cut out all the nonsense that I'm talking about. So nah, it's all gold. <laughs> trust me. All right. So what do you wish you had known when you started your career? What would you tell your younger self? Uh, you go back. I think that particularly when you work for bigger companies, uh, how should I say? Bringing value to the table is not everything that counts. There's a significant political political uh, aspect to it, and uh, 
but also, you know, I, I don't want to say that all political maneuvering in corporations is bad. You can you can choose how to play it. You can you can play politics and have your integrity intact mm-hmm. and your um your es- ethics and and uh, how should I say <laughs> your soul doesn't die to be very dramatic about it. <laughs> but uh but I, I think that was um and, and that was a little bit also for me uh, coming from my background in, you know, former communist country that I always looked at the West as a value creator, right? Whereas yeah, interesting. You, you, you sort of quickly understand that uh, there are other powers that are play too. And it's not necessarily always the value that is yeah. at the center of attention. To put so it do you politely. Think that's more for awareness sake or for maybe like gaining a different, um, I'm oh, I'm just, credit by, I just, by calling it a skill set. Right? I just, I just got mad at people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair I just enough. got mad at people. I know the feeling. Trust me. Yeah. All right. So Nils, who or what has influenced you the most? Ooh, that's a long list of people. Um, I think, well, <laughs> you, you got to understand that, you know, growing up, uh, up until age of, you know, 11, 12, mm-hmm. I thought that, you know, Lenin was God and, and, uh, you know, Soviet hockey team was, you know, saints and so on and so forth. Right. Uh, so I, I had to change my perspective, but, you know. Uh, and, and learn a thing or two uh, beyond that. Uh, I think my my first the first books that I loved by were this, he was a political he is still alive. Uh, P.J. O'Rourke. Uh, he was political humorist. Um, he uh, wrote funny books, and frankly, that's how I learned English too. It was. Uh, um, uh, every paragraph contained a joke. So I was sitting there with a dictionary and I said, yeah, I'm going to understand this joke no matter what. And he used a rather, um, a rather li- rich language. Uh, his vocabulary was extensive, so extensive, extensive both ways, extensive in, you know, multi-syllable words, uh, but also, you know, the four-letter words uh, were also very prominent in his and um, I, I, he sort of simplified, um, you know, I, I came into this Western market-oriented, um, you know, market-oriented situation, and he sort of simplified things for me that, you know, you, you still, when you grow up, you sort of, you learn about your environment, how things function, right, even up to 12 years old. But then I moved to Sweden, and, well, Sweden maybe is not the most um, – most turbulent capitalist country in the world, but obviously there still was a significant change for me. Um, and, and he sort of helped me to sort of, you know, understand it, but also in a very humorous way. Uh, I think most recently, um, I would have to say I've been um, reading and influenced by uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson. Um, mm-hmm. 
and uh, also that group that he uh, associates with uh, uh, Dr. Brett and uh, Eric Weinstein, those brothers, uh, I think David Rubin is also sort of part of that group. And they have uh, uh, Sam Harris. Uh, they have, they don't agree on everything, but they have very thorough, very um, honest conversations. Um, and uh, I've, I've sort of gravitated towards that. Yeah. You know, I've actually been listening to the 12 Rules for Life. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah I'm on rule four right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's, uh, it's Jordan made me Peterson, stand up straighter. Yeah. It's made me stand oh. up straighter with my shoulders oh, yeah. back. <laughs> for sure. That's the Indeed. It's, uh, it's, as Jordan Peterson puts it, it's, it's nothing new, but, needs to be said yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's amazing how he's able to you know do all this research and correlate history and different references and nature to really yeah. tie these rules together um, yeah blows my mind how he's able to do that yeah because of him i've also started reading jung <laughs> oh okay interesting yeah what is that one about well jung is is he's the famous psychologist that that uh that dove very deep into sort of the human psyche and and the dark side a little bit too and and uh, it he's not an easy read i i will say that i'm i'm sort of struggling <laughs> through it but uh uh you discover a lot of interesting things about yourself uh interesting okay we'll have to take a look so Nils, what's your coffee of choice? Oh, uh, black with milk. No, so it's not black. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just uh, milk and coffee. I uh, uh, no sugar. Uh, used to love sugar, wow, no but sugar. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, you know, going down to memory, that was one thing in Sweden. What we did as uh, teenagers. Uh, mm-hmm. We uh, in cafes back in the day, you could go into a cafe and order a cup of coffee and have unlimited refills. Um, mm. You know, so you went after school, you had your twelve cups of coffee, you couldn't fall asleep, and you know, you went to school half asleep. And then after school, you went had your twelve cups of coffee, and that was your routine. <laughs> wow! But we did have very good conversations. Uh, I miss that. Uh, but that was that yeah. was my coffee beginnings. I, I still <laughs> think Sweden is a. Um, my statistics might be old, but uh, number one um, coffee consuming country in, per capita ah. in, in the world. Um, Interesting. That's where I learned to drink coffee. But in general, the flavor regular, nothing nothing fancy. Occasionally, I get into a latte, but. Uh, yeah, and um, cappuccino maybe after a sure. nice meal, but my daily routine, coffee, milk. I've been gravitating more to iced coffee in the summertime. Yeah, yeah, it would be a shame not to do it in Texas, right? I know. <laughs> yep. So, what would be then your adult drink of choice? Oh, I. It's still whiskey. 
still whiskey. Uh, Any particular bourbon. kind? Bourbon. bourbon. Uh, I've I've uh, uh, tried many. Maker's Mark uh, is is probably. I've tried so many, but I somehow keep going back to Maker's Mark. I don't know. Yeah, why. keeping it simple. It's good. Yeah, I, but, I love but, bourbon. But to be yeah, but to be honest, less and less so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's getting tougher in the mornings afterwards. You know? Don't blame you. <laughs> um, are you listening to any podcasts right now besides this one? Hopefully. Oh gosh, <laughs> too many. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm I'm trying to catch up. You know, Jordan Peterson's podcasts are always interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the the Weinstein um, brothers. Uh, uh, but I, oh, frankly, what I've been recently really enjoying is um, there are ex special forces people uh, mm-hmm. uh, who are interviewing, well, let's you know, other ex special forces people, and they're going through their experiences. Uh, one of the uh, one of the more recent ones I listened to this uh, one with uh, Ed Calderon. And Ed Calderon was, uh, uh, he was interviewed by Sean Ryan. Sean Ryan is an ex-Navy SEAL. He worked for CIA, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, the background for all those podcasts is that uh, they all went through tough times. And a lot of them have, you know, Sean Ryan openly talks about it. He was addicted to Coke when he was working Mm. for CIA in Columbia. You know, he went through a lot Mm. of tough times and, Ed Calderon, he talked about he was a drug cop in Mexico uh, and uh, how, you know, how it is so difficult for them to reintegrate back into normal society Mm. uh, after after it all. And uh, it's just they they have they have a little bit of a perspective You know of, of of how how fortunate we are here, yeah. frankly, uh, just compared to what is going on south of the border. You know, compared to what they had experienced in all the places where they've been and what they've seen. Um, but you know, it's not just what they've seen, but what they've done, and and I think that usually mm-hmm. usually hits the hardest on a psyche. It's not that all oh, I saw that and somebody else did, but the things that you had to do. Yeah. It leaves a um, mark, right? Yeah. And, and that, that is, and, and how they're coping with it. But, um, it, I, I find it very, very refreshing. There's, there's just, uh, you, you, you watch those and they're on YouTube and you just know that there is a, you know, they're just talking, they're just telling you the truth how it is yeah. right and, yeah. and and that's missing a lot today and absolutely i find those podcasts refreshing yeah i'll have to check that out so would you call yourself an introvert or an extrovert you'll be surprised i am an introvert but okay but i play an extrovert in a business world uh, <laughs> gotta wear different hats because, don't you? yeah it's uh it's exhausting for an introvert to play an extrovert oh, yeah. Um, it's, uh, but I, I did when I was young, I, I actually sang in opera in, in Soviet Union and I was actually, oh man, you're going to have to do some singing for us here. 
Yeah, yeah. But I was actually in a in a Soviet movie too. Uh, was playing a kid. My friends jokingly laugh about that I was in a Soviet version of Xanadu, um, okay. and and uh, and uh, I can't disagree with them. But that's something not I'm not very proud of. So <laughs> <laughs> it is on YouTube, but I'm not sending you those clips. Uh, <laughs> You'll have to do a quick it. search. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I can overcome just, just that. Just so you know, it, it, so in Soviet Union, uh, there was a cat in the scene with me, and that cat got paid more than I did. Just so. Well, but uh, that's, that'll bring you back. But, down so I'm, I'm sort of used to I'm sort of used to performances, right? And yeah. you know, you can you can question whether it's truly me or not, and it is. But it's just the <laughs> uh, that's, that's what you're I, called, I can dude. do it, but it takes a lot of energy. Got it. And what do you look forward to the most each weekend? Oh, what do I look forward to most each weekend? It's fitting. It's Friday today, so. Yeah. I, I You know, I, I always try to allocate some time over the weekend to learn something new. Um, mm -hmm. Something that, you know, not, not just, oh, you know, I you know, this AI technique or whatever. And, and I'm going to, but no, something more, uh, something more esoteric, you know, some, you know, somebody says, Oh, you know, look at this, you know, whatever, you know, mushroom farming is going to save the world. And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> why? You know? And, and, yeah. uh, um, but yeah, you, you find, I, uh, during the weekends, I try to become more of a generalist, uh, which I, I, I oh, think great. is, yeah. is, uh, seriously <laughs> needed in today's world of, uh, narrow-minded experts, you know, if you want yeah. to. And I think it, it's also, um, I, I feel like I have to do that because if I am, uh, in the world of AI, AI doesn't just capture one small aspect of something or right. let me, uh, we should be designing AI to cap capture as much as possible um, to be, to provide correct predictions, right. And not right. to mislead us, um, but also understand what it's doing and, and not cheat ourselves through it. Right. It's, yeah. Um, so then, and, is it and, safe to say you, you've read the book Range? I have not read the book David Range. Epstein. Oh no, right. I have not read that book. Uh, have you heard now, of it? Now, I, why did you have to say? Now I have to read it. No. Uh, <laughs> well, it's called How, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. Range. Oh yeah, I, 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 I sort of learned that through my life experience, more yeah. or less, because. You, you mean I need to read uh, it after all? <laughs> yeah. No, no, it, it would be a, maybe a nice confirmation, but it, but yeah, it's you know having lived under different systems and in, in uh, four different countries, five including Texas. Just so yeah, that's look, I'm what glad my t-shirt. No. Yeah, <laughs> good. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I lived in New York and and here, and uh, it's. It is so, I, I found it always very important to integrate, wherever I moved, is to integrate into the society uh, 
where I arrive and and get accustomed to customs and you know I, I don't have to you know completely get myself brainwashed or whatever you know lose right. my identity that's not the point but but the point is that you 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 should when you move somewhere you, you know at least initially you're a guest right and the the point is that if I'm a guest here I should do what needs to be done and if i don't like it i can go away right and yeah. <laughs> uh um i always whether i was you know in sweden uh whether i was in germany whether i was in, in you know back in latvia um yeah you complain about certain things but you know you 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 admit to yourself that i am here and they're not where i am <laughs> so therefore <laughs> I should comply, yep. not others, to my wishes, and and in order to do that, I think you have to be a generalist, um, uh, and and you understand why, uh, you know that there. The, I mean, I could go on for hours about it, but mm-hmm. why? There's always a reason why people do things that they do. The reason might not be always. A good reason, but uh, there's always a reason. Yeah, that's true. Good to know. Nils, good, good news. You're off the hot seat. You're out of the lightning round now. Yeah. You made it through. I made it through? You're kidding me. I can dump my coffee now and have my bourbon. Is that- uh, you might still need that. <laughs> you actually, combine, you might want to combine the two. I bet that's good. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a good one. So Nils, in closing, um, how can a potential customer or client reach you? How do they get started? Well, call Andrew Louder and Andrew will direct. There you go. All right. <laughs> I got it. I'll take her from here. Yeah, we, 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 we do have a website. It's still in, in, in progress. Um, uh, in essence, it's asistech.com. Easy I-S, uh, tech as tech. Um, mm-hmm. And otherwise, yeah, mostly how we've been um, working is through our own personal connections through through Jamie with her world and with OpenAI and uh, Google Brain and, and that realm and myself um, from my awesome. previous experiences. And uh, we're, we're taking a, you know, a, a little unique approach. Uh, I, I don't know that there are many companies that are doing what we're doing, but I think we have the talent to back up that approach but there are certainly situations you know and how we start a conversation where there's the both the management consulting component necessary along with ai just just to bootstrap the to get the company to the level where uh they can do more sophisticated stuff and and as i said a lot of the times that's all that there is needed is to get them going and just to get some basic information, not everybody needs a crazy AI solution right off the get-go, right? And no. and I think it's, it's 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 yeah, it's a it's a knowledge acquisition process, knowledge acquisition about your own company. And I, I always interesting when that process starts is particularly on an executive level how much <laughs> how much uh, assumptions are changed. Once yeah. the data, real data starts rolling in and, you know, just some basic visualizations start appearing like, 
oh, I didn't know that was happening. Like, well, yeah, you know. I always, I always go that you know within financial services record, there's always the 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 infamous QSIP nine 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 nine. Right? Uh, hold on, did I get all the digits? Well, regardless, you, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, where where things get cleared, you know, and that's what sits in a system. And I think the the most fascinating part to me is always how uh, you know all these big ARP systems, what people do to rig them to mm-hmm. make them do what they need them to do right, to get the job yeah. done. Cause a lot of the times it's a, uh, you introduce these big systems and, uh, and uh, they're an obstacle to accomplishing you what you need to accomplish within the company. And, you know, that's right. And I'm not right. talking about cheating or anything like that. Just, you know, getting a package out the door. Right. 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 That, uh, so Nils, are you on LinkedIn? Could somebody reach out to you on LinkedIn? Connect there. Yes, yes, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, as is technologies, uh, Nils Senevaltz. Um, I'm I'm out there. An All old right, picture, good. an old non-bearded picture of me, though. I should yeah, update. I need an update. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, Nils, I can't thank you enough for being a guest on the show today. It's been a blast. Great chatting with you. Thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, we're going to have to do this again soon. I'd love to kind of uh, go in depth more onto some of the, the different projects and things you're working on yeah. uh, for our next one, potentially. So, you know, great be time. Thank you so much. So, thank you. Wonderful. Well, thank you to our listeners for listening to this episode of the Louder Co. Dallas Space Innovators Podcast. I'm Andrew Louder signing out. That's our show for today. We hope you took away something valuable. Be sure to visit Louderco at louderco.com for more. Thank you again and stay tuned for more from Dallas-based innovators.